We're going to be talking about how can we agree to disagree agreeably on matters that we do not agree on. All right, so this is an issue in the church of Jesus Christ. It was an issue in the day of the Apostle Paul in the church at Colossae and Galatia uh, in Rome. So turn to Romans chapter 14 as we are going to be looking today on how we can accept one another even though uh, we may sharply disagree on what Paul's going to call disputable matters. And I'll kind of define that here in just a moment. But let's read in uh, Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats any, everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. He who gives thanks to God and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to the Lord. Now, as in any church, certainly here in the church at Rome, uh, there were a lot of people who made up the congregation. They came from all kinds of religious backgrounds. They came from all different kinds of cultural backgrounds. They came into the church with all sorts of preconceived notions about things. They all entered into the realm of the body of Christ with a conscience that believed certain things which, you know, translated into strong convictions. So as in any church, when the believers gathered in the church at Rome, there was some sharp disagreements going on as to what God would allow and what God would not allow. And so look in verse 1, it says, Paul calls these disputable matters. Now, let me set the context for this because it's very, very important that you understand the context if you're going to understand these verses that we have in Romans chapter 14 before us. Paul's not talking about things that the Word of God clearly spells out, where God says, you know, there's only one way of salvation. It's through His Son, Jesus Christ. If somebody comes along with another gospel, Paul wrote in Galatians, hey, if somebody comes at you with another gospel, they are not of the Lord. I don't care if it was an angel, they're not of the Lord, right? So uh, this that would be a, a matter of doctrine, right? So the Bible is very clear about many different things. You should do this. You should not do this. Where there is gray areas, where the Bible doesn't explicitly um, state, make a statement towards something that you're, uh, you're facing, a temptation, a decision you're making, there are guiding principles that God gives to us in his word that helps us make the wisest decision possible. And then there is wisdom, and wisdom is taking the Word of God and making practical application to my daily life and the decisions that I have to make. So one of my rules of thumb, if I'm facing something and I'm trying to make a decision about something for which God's Word does not clearly say, well, you should do this or you should not do that, or you ought to walk this path, I always think in terms of, in light of my, um, my past experiences and my present circumstances and my future hopes and concerns, what is the wise thing to do here based upon maybe not a clear word in, from God's word, but the principle 
that God gives to us in his word that would be applicable to whatever it is that I'm facing. So Paul is stepping outside of that realm, and he's saying, listen, there are things that you and I have very strong convictions about for which God's word doesn't explicitly give you a yes or no, nor is there really a principle in God's word that would give you the wisdom you're looking for at that moment in time, but you have a conscience and you have a strong conviction within yourself based on that conscience that you have made a decision, this is right, this is right, this is wrong, this is wrong. And so Paul is saying, what do we do if we have two believers in the same body of Christ who are at polar opposite ends when it comes to that, this particular circumstance that we're disputing with one another about? You've got a strong conviction, it ought to be this way. You've got a strong conviction, it ought to be this way. How can we agree to disagree agreeably and accept one another without parting ways. Listen, churches have split, friendships have been dissolved because of disputable matters that the body of Christ has with one another, friends and even churches. For example, the church that I pastored in Alabama many years prior to that, um, the church split over a disputable matter And so those who split off the church went just up the road and started the Methodist church, and here I was pastoring the Baptist church. And this happened like 40 years before I ever came to that church, and it was like the war was still fresh. I mean, the first thing they told me about, well, you want to know why that church is up there? Well, let me tell you why, you know. And so I'm like, oh, my word, this is is crazy. It's insane. And um, so, in Paul's dealing with three things that were disputable matters in his day and time. Diet, days, and drink. All right? So, the disputable matter was this. Here's Paul in Rome, and um, there were a lot of Jewish believers in the Roman church, and then there were those who were Gentiles, who were just pure pagan, who got saved and came into the church. Now, what happened is, is that a lot of the meat markets in Rome... They sold meat cheaper if you bought meat that had been offered up to idols as a sacrifice. All right, so uh, these, these meats are used as a part of the sacrificial uh, system to the idols, and the butchers would get a hold of it, and they would sell it in the marketplace. So the dispute in the church was, like for the Jews, they're like, listen, we're not eating anything or touching anything that's been offered to an idol, because if we do that, it's like we're participating in idol worship, and we're not having anything to do that. And some of those who came out of that background, like, look, before we got saved, before Jesus got in, you know, came into our lives, we, we, we bowed before the idols, and we bowed before those gods, and we're not participating in this, because it would just be like going back to the old ways of life, and we're not going to do that. But then you had those in the church that said, ah, come on, it it means nothing. Those idols are dead gods anyway. They don't, they're just fictitious. They don't really exist. So it really doesn't matter. We're going to eat those, the meat that's been offered to those idols. So can you imagine when you went to the church potluck? Are you going to eat the stew or not? Because after all, it might have been offered up to some idols, and now you would be uh, indirectly participating in idol worship. This is a big dispute in the church at Rome, and then the over you know, particular days, and again, there were a lot of Jewish Christians, and they, they all of their lives, for 1,500 years, they, they believed that if you're going to worship God, you've got to do it on Sabbath, which is on Saturday. So even after they were saved, gave their life to Christ, they said, you know, we want to continue worshiping on the Sabbath on Saturday. You know, this is a 1,500-year, it was obviously important to God. It's going to be important to us. Then you had new Christians and even some of the new Jewish believers and, and those coming out of the pagan world said, no, 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 we're, we're worshiping on Sunday. Sunday is Resurrection Day. That's the day Jesus was resurrected from the grave. And therefore, we, we have to worship on Sunday. Then you had those who come along and say, well, wait a minute. In our church, we have Saturday night services. What about that? Or we have Thursday night services. What about that? Does that count if I don't worship on Sunday, but I worship on Thursday night? Does that, does that count, you know, for having worship that week? And so here's the dispute that's going on inside of the church even over Jewish holidays, because again, in the, in the Jewish people's mindset, they're like, God gave us all of these you know, various um, holidays to remind us 
of spiritual truth. Now, here's what I want you to know about these folks in the church. They're all saved, literally saved. They all love God. They love Jesus. They're sincere in their beliefs and in their convictions, but they're disagreeing with each other over these disputable matters. And then when it came, you know, to drink, it's like, okay, you had, and, and Paul deals with this in the latter half of the chapter, just to mention it here, like if I become a follower of Jesus Christ, does that mean I have to abstain from all alcohol forever, or is drinking in moderation okay? And so this is a big dispute in the church, even in our day and time, about those things. So the question is, who's right and who's wrong? Because we always want someone to be right and someone to be wrong. And we want to be right. Amen. <laughs> and I want you to be wrong, right? So do we have any disputable matters in churches today? No, we wouldn't do that, right? No way. Would we, would we disagree over things? Are you kidding me? I mean, I, I remember when I first quit wearing a suit, somebody said to me, you know, Pastor, you preached a whole lot better when you wore a suit. <laughs> I said, really? Yeah, yeah, you, you, were, you were a whole lot better. Um, well, I remember when I was early in the faith, and, you know, I was working as a, a pipe fitter, and we were members of a church in Virginia, in Christiansburg, Virginia, and they had a, uh, the church had a couple, Dale and Gilda, Gilda Riddle, and they were um, credible people, and they sang, and, you know, he was an evangelist, full-time evangelist, and I remember him telling us during the services that, you know, he had a beard, and back in that day, and that was a no-no, that was a taboo in church, you're a preacher, you can't have a beard, you know, Jesus didn't have a beard, right, uh, so... So literally he said, you know, uh, that was back before the day of computers, right? So people would schedule him for a revival, and when he sent them the promotional material, they noticed he had a beard, and they would cancel the revival. So, you know, we, we've, we've come a little, little bit further along in our day and time. So, you know, when I was, again, when I was saved back, you know, back in the days of Moses, uh, you know, it was all about, you know, if you're a Baptist, you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't cuss, you can't chew, you can't date girls who do. Um, you, ladies, you couldn't wear pants, you could only wear skirts to church, and they better not be above the knee. Because otherwise, you know, so, you know, dancing was out because then that leads to fornicating and, you know, all kinds of lust issues with guys and so on and so forth. And these were huge disputable matters in churches that churches would vehemently uh, disagree. You know, in our day and time, there are things like COVID, all right? COVID split a lot of churches, right? Do we wear masks? Do we not wear masks? Do we shut our doors? Do we open our doors? Do we, you know, what uh, precautions have we put in place and what do we not and, and so on and so forth. There, so there are a lot of churches that split over the issues of COVID. And as a pastor, it didn't matter what you did, with regards to safety measures, it was never right in some people's eyes, right? Some people said, yeah, that's the way we ought to go. And others said, no, uh, we shouldn't even be meeting and so on and so forth. Or what about reading Harry Potter series? Right? Some, some say, well, clearly this is witchcraft. It's a story filled with wizards and witches. And, and some terms come straight out of the occult. And others say, no, we, we should you know, you know, they say, well, you, you need to, the Bible says you need to avoid, avoid any hint of uh, Satanism, and then you have others who come along and say, no, look, it's, it's fantasy, like Lord of the Rings, Chronicles of Narnia, it's, it's just depicting uh, goodness and badness and, and how you have both of those in, in the world in which we live, and after all, the kids even celebrated Christmas, so they can't be Satanists, and uh, plus J.K., K. Rowling is a member of the Church of England, and there is a book out that is called The Gospel According to Harry Potter. And so you, whatever side you are on that, that's a disputable matter. Or here's one that if you bring two mothers together about homeschool and get the popcorn out because a UFC fight's going to break out, uh, 
you know, the homeschool mom, sure, you can send your kids to the place where they outlawed prayer, like in the times of Nebuchadnezzar, and they teach your kids that, the, you know, they arose from monkeys and where they might get stabbed in the face by a gang member. I'm not doing that. You know, we love our son too much. We want to help him develop a biblical worldview, so we're going to homeschool. And statistically, they're more likely to walk with Jesus if I homeschool them. And clearly, homeschooling is the godly choice. And then the parent who the school public school mom was like well that's cool we just want our kids to have things like you know social skills and uh, that's great that your child learned how to churn butter and and grow things in the garden it, it we we get that making their own clothes but you know i want my son and daughter to learn important things like math and science and and those kinds of things and you know, we just want our kids to learn to deal with temptation. I mean, you can't isolate yourself from the world. You can't put yourself in a bubble. And Jesus says, you know, you can be in the world, but not of the world. And after all, if we all withdraw out of the public school, how are we going to be salt and light in the midst of darkness and decay? I have a daughter who has a son in public school. I have a daughter who homeschools. See, these are, these are disputable matters, right? And, and, People have strong convictions both ways. And so someone comes along in the middle of the road and says, we'll just send them to a Christian school and we'll just solve that whole problem. So this is what Paul is addressing. And these are issues, you know, every Christian has their, their list of do's and don'ts. And your little list in your mind that you should not do this, like some of you, you would be really bothered. You would be really bothered if I was up here with a hat on. Right? You know, the Old Testament says not to, you know, not have a covering on your head. And I'm like, well, but that's Old Covenant. I'm more New Covenant. And so we all have our list of do's and don'ts. And these become issues that we're, we're, you know, we're just like settled into and hardcore about it. And then when you sit down and you're trying to discuss these things, especially if it's with family members, I mean, it can be, it, it can be, yeah, UFC fight. My wife and I have some things we don't agree on, disputable matters. But we've just chosen to agree to disagree agreeably because we're just not going to see eye to eye on these issues or these matters uh, of the faith. And it's, doesn't, I, I don't love her and she doesn't love me. Listen, Jesus prayed in his priestly prayer in John 17 for the unity of the church. In the book of Acts, in the first five chapters, it constantly keeps saying that they were all unified. They were in one accord. Now watch this. If this is about unity, not uniformity. Uniformity says for us to get along, we all have to see it the exact same way and do it the exact same way or we can't have fellowship with one another. And Paul would come along and say, that's not unity and that's not acceptable. What is acceptable is the lights go out. So we, uh, we learn to agree to disagree in an agreeable way, but we maintain fellowship and unity in the body of Christ. So why is this so important? Because Satan understands and knows. This is such an important concept that if he wants to split the church, if he wants to divide relationships, if he wants to create a rift in fellowships in small groups, the way that he does that is to divide it over a disputable matter. And we all agree just to walk away, go our separate ways, never to cross paths again. Paul says that's not the way God's designed the church. We are always going to deal with disputable matters. The question is, how do we go about doing that? And so he gives us three ways to accept people whom you disagree with. Again, the key word he uses is accept in verse 3. He says, God has accepted them. I want you to accept them. Right? So in these disputable matters, again, they're all saved. They love Jesus. They're fellowshipping together. At least they're trying to until these matters come up. And then all of a sudden, we can't agree and can't get along. So what does he say? Number one is this. You don't label them. Do not label them. Paul compares in the first two verses and contrasts the difference between faith that is weak and faith that is strong. And so, for example, Paul, let's, say, let's just take the dietary issue about eating meat that's been offered to, to idols. Well, Paul dealt with that in the book of Galatians. He says, eh, I don't care if it's been offered to idols or not. My faith is strong. 
I, that's, that's a dead God. I'm going to eat the meat. Pass me the bacon. <laughs> uh, give me the stew at the potluck. Now, other people, though, that might be highly offensive to them. And Paul's not going to go up to that person and say, well, if you were just as strong as I am in the faith, if you were really you know, strong in the Lord, and if you da-da-da-da, you would see it my way. No, that's not what Paul says. He says, listen, I'm going to accept him or her as a brother and sister in Christ. I'm not trying to force my convictions upon them. If they don't want to eat the meat, don't eat the meat. In fact, I wouldn't want you to violate your conscience because over time, as God grows you and increases your faith and your knowledge and your understanding and, and builds within you the word of God and the principle of God's word and the wisdom of God, God will, over time, reform your conscience, which is a part of the spiritual growth process, right? So God takes us where we are and loves us where we are. He accepts us where we are without having changed anything. But what God's going to do in that growth process is he's going to begin what? Growing me and maturing me and conforming me into the image of Jesus. And he's going to take my conscience and he's going to begin reforming my conscience. So now what once bothered me does not bother me anymore. Now, it might be that there are some things that you have such a strong conviction about, you will never change in your life. But the basis of our fellowship should never be contingent upon that issue. And this is what he's, he's, he's going to say. He says, listen, don't, don't pass judgment. He says, stop passing judgment, which is like throwing out labels. Because when you feel confident that, hey, I'm right and you're wrong, then we give the sense that they are lesser because they're not quite as spiritually mature as you may be, and so they're kind of lesser, and we just kind of, you know, throw out some, some labels that create this uh, attitude of superiority. Well, you know, that guy's just, wor he's just worldly, he's just, you know, um, he's a communist, or he, uh, you know, whatever label you want to put on people, uh, you know, he's just a fighting fundamentalist, and you're not very spiritual, and you're not Christian, and, and so name-calling is the lowest form of judgmentalism, and you can label things, all kinds of things on people who do not agree with you, who vehemently disagree with you, but because you feel superior over them, you just label them because it makes you feel better about yourself, right? No amens there? Okay. So what is it, what's the difference between weak and strong? Weak in the faith means that you cannot enjoy the fullness of the freedom that you have in Jesus Christ. The strong in faith means that you can, you can enjoy fully the freedom you have in Jesus Christ. Now, what we tend to do is swing the pendulum one of two ways too far. Those who become legalists and like, like you know, you just like, here's the rules and, and we're going to enforce the rules on everybody and everybody has to be, you know, uniformity or we can't have fellowship with you. And then who swing it to the liberal side that says, well, everything's free game because we're free in Christ and therefore now there's no restraints upon us. Remember, Paul is talking about things outside of which the Bible specifically deals with, and the Bible deals with a lot of things when it comes to legalism and liberalism. Right? So that, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking here about disputable matters. So think of it this way. Whether it comes from food, alcohol, marriage, sexuality, or whatever the issue is, God may draw a line and say, everything on this side is okay and everything on this side is not okay, and so those who are weak in their faith, they're just like jumping here on the side, this is okay, and I'm going to hold to that and adhere to that. And so those, you know, that may be a little stronger in faith, well, I'm going to go right up to the line of what's not okay. I'm not going to cross the line, but I'm going to at least get right up to the line of what's not okay because I have freedom in Christ. But those who are weak in their faith would say, no, I'm not even veering one iota from here, and I don't want anybody else veering one iota from here, because after all, it might, you know, frog leap me over uh, what I shouldn't be doing. Okay, so I give you, know, you, you get all kinds of examples from the scribes and the Pharisees, because this is where they were. They were legalists, and they would say, you can't do this, you can't do this, because God's word says you can't do this. You can't do this. So they got on to Jesus about what? He and his disciples were out in the fields on the Sabbath, and the disciples had the audacity to pluck some grain and eat it as they're crossing the field. 
and the scribes and Pharisees, aha, what's wrong with your disciples? Why are they not following the law? And Jesus said, it's on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, well, the Sabbath was, was not made for man. It was made for God. You're, you're pushing it too far. You're, you're, you, you are straying in that here. And so this is really kind of what Paul's going to unpack for us uh, in this, this particular chapter. And this is where people have, I, I have noticed that oftentimes when we have the weakest faith, we have the strongest opinions. So when I got saved, you know, I was told right out of the gate, because you know, you know my story, so I, I, I had issues with drugs and alcohol and I had a very foul mouth and a very bad attitude. And so right out of the gate, there was like, hey, you got to stop, da-da-da-da, you got to get your act cleaned up, you can't, you know, if you're going to fellowship with us, you got to straight and narrow. Now, before I was saved, they kind of were tolerant of me, but after I got saved, then the tolerance all went away. So how did that impact me? How did that affect me? It's like, oh, I see the game here. I'll be one way at church and do what I want the rest of the week. As long as I'm falling in line on Sunday, I'm a-okay. Was that true? No. Absolutely not. God needed to do a work in me, absolutely. The question is, were the people that I were fellowshipping with and the youth group that I was involved with and the adults who were leading that youth group, would they, be, would they allow me enough rope you know, they're going to try to reel me in. I get that. I understand that. But would they give me enough rope to let me, you know, let God do his work in me so that whatever changes were being made in my life were authentic. They were not changes I was just trying to make to please you so that I would fall in line with your rules and your regulations. That makes sense? Right, so I wanted authentic change. I didn't want, you know, just change you know, for change's sake, I, I'm just trying to, you know, fulfill your desires and your wishes in order to, be, to accept me and to have fellowship with me. And so some things that you are weak in, and there are some things that you are very strong in depending on your, your situation. For example, when I got saved, I was still really weak in the faith when it came to drugs and alcohol, right? Because those things controlled my life for a long time. And that was, you know, that was just the way I lived. And so after I got saved, I still struggled with those things, right? It wasn't like God flipped a switch and like, I'm done with that. Or my foul mouth. You know, I've, I've shared with you before. I came into the church, you know, this is after I'm saved. And one of the deacons, you know, there's the front doors. They're welcoming people. And they say, how are you doing? I say, well, I'm doing great. How the hell are you doing? So, you know, it's just like you kind of come unglued like, hey, he's cussing in church, right? And we can't have that, right? So as people were working with me and tagging along with me and loving me and accepting me and helping me grow in my walk with the Lord, God began to change things. And some things were radical changes. Some things took a long, long time to change. And I wasn't, you know, I'm a new creation in Christ, but all the newness had not come out yet. And so there are still things I'm working on. There are still things you're working on. And so we have to be tolerant and acceptable to one another as we're working in these areas of disputed, of disputed matters, and so um, who is who is the weak person? Well, the weak person's always the other guy, right? That we're having the dispute with. So he says, "Hey, don't label them." Number two, don't judge them. He says, "Don't look down on them." You know, you do not make fun of them by putting them down and ridiculing them. You know, things like, "Oh, thank God I'm not like you." <laughs> uh, Lord, I'm I'm glad you know. Some of you grew up in a Christian home, and you, you know, you, your life, I mean, the worst thing you ever did was steal something, uh, like a pack of gum, you know, those of us who, who come out of, um, and it, it's not that you needed any less of God's grace to be saved, but those of us who came out of more colorful backgrounds, you know, there are a lot of things I said, a lot of things I did, a lot of people that I hurt, that, that I couldn't go back and make up, and so these are things that people could easily judge me over, the clothes that I wore. I mean, when I walked into church, I mean, I, did, I was not wearing acceptable clothing. I didn't have the acceptable length of hair. Um, there are a lot of things that were unacceptable about me, but, but 
God led me into a church that had a group of people who loved me anyways. Despite what I looked like, despite the way I acted, they didn't say, oh, they have a secret meeting like, we got to get rid of this kid. He's going to infect our kids, and he's going to turn them like to the bad side of things, right? We, we, we can't have him impacting our children in a, in a very negative way, which from time to time I did. They were right. I, uh, it wasn't always good, um, the thing I, things I got them engaged in. And so, but Paul was come along and said, listen, um, we, we, we accept them. We're not going to judge them. And so what does it mean to judge somebody? It means I'm making... I, I am making a statement about your value in the eyes of God. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, listen, do not judge your brother. Before you start pulling the speck of sawdust out of his eye, you might want to get the telephone pole out of your own. What he was simply saying is this, is that a judgmental attitude will make you blind to your own faults and failures. We've all got faults and failures. Amen? Did God reject us because of those? Absolutely not. Is he patient with us? Is he kind and generous? As he, it says that the love and the generosity of God is what leads us to a life of repentance. It wasn't the fear of hell that turned my heart to Jesus. It was the incredible love of God for me that turned my heart to Jesus. And one of the ways I discovered that incredible love of God was through the people whom God surrounded me with. That's what led me to Jesus. You can tell me about hell all you want and threaten me with it all you want. I could care less. But when somebody loved me as I'd never been loved before, now all of a sudden God gripped my heart in a powerful way. So uniformity is we do everything the same way. Unity is that we follow the same Jesus. And I hope that you fall in love with the same Jesus so that his preferences ultimately become yours. That your heart, your life is driven not because you're trying to acquire God's acceptance, not because you're trying to acquire God's love. You have his love and acceptance through Jesus Christ. I want you to love Jesus and follow Jesus because I believe that Jesus, and I share with you almost every Sunday, I believe that Jesus will make your life better and make you better at life. That's the relationship we want to spur one another on. And so sometimes we can make freedom like a badge to wear and wave it in the faces of others, um, but that's really not the godly things to do. So he says, listen, let's not, let's not label each other. You know, let's not start calling people names because they're not where we are or they're not thinking like we think they ought to be thinking and not agreeing on the matter we ought to think they ought to agree. We're not going to judge them like, well, you know, if you're really saved, uh, you know, Jesus, you really love Christ. Uh, if you really, yeah. So those are judgmental statements. But here's the third one is don't try. This is, this is hard for us. Do not try to change them. Okay? Change is the work of the Spirit. You ain't the Spirit. Now, I can love you. I can give you God's Word. I stand up here every Sunday and try to explain to you God's Word in a very practical way that you can take the word of God and the principles of God and exercise the wisdom of God in your everyday life. And that is a part of the process of change. But I don't come in here and say, hey, I noticed this about you. Um, let me change you, right? I have no ability to change anyone. All I can do is share the truth, and what you do with it is up to you. And whether or not you change is going to be determined upon what you do with the truth that God has given you. God has not called me and he's not called you to set out to try to change people. Listen, if, if you want somebody, you see somebody walking and maybe they've walked away from the Lord or they're struggling in life or whatever. What Paul said, he's been trying to drill into us from chapter 12 up to here is, listen, love them and love them as Christ loved them. Yes, you can share truth, but you want to do it in a way that is compassionate. You want to do it in a way that's kind. You want to do it in a way that's going to be palatable to them. 
This is how we get people to, to you know, say, oh, okay, maybe I could do better. Maybe, maybe this will help me. Maybe this will help you. I, I don't come to people, that, like, for example, in my family, they're lost. And I don't come to them and say, you know what? You better get saved before you die. You're going to hell, right? So it, it didn't work for me. I don't think it's going to work for them. But what I can do is share truth. And one of the ways I do that is through my weekly blog. I'm just sharing them truth out of God's word. My family members are reading those blogs. And so I just let the Holy Spirit get a hold of them. And so here's what Paul gives us six reasons why you are not the change agent, okay? And this is not what we set out to do. Um, sometimes people who disagree with us, you know, they, they provide us with additional perspective. And again, God says he's, he's already accepted them. So they have their opinion. You have yours. So the question is, how do we bring this together to disagree agreeably in a way that I, I, um, I display acceptance of you regardless of whether or not you accept what it is I'm giving you? Does that make sense? So Paul would say, if, I, if my whole goal is just to set out to change you and you ain't changing, what do I do? I just dig my heels in. Like, you are going to change, right? So, for example, if you have children who start backing away from the Lord. Um, we've experienced this firsthand, and you just see their life kind of moving away and drifting away from the Lord. One of the big mistakes I, I made was I tried, to, I'm going to change them. I'm, I'm going to turn the art around. And so that's what I set out to do, which was counterproductive. So what my wife and I did, we set in and we said, you know what? We're digging in and we're praying, and we're doing our warfare on our knees. And whenever God gave us opportunity to interject or to, to, you know, to um, rescue or to help, we did that. And it, but it was God who ultimately changed the heart and the life of our daughter to bring her back into fellowship with the Lord. Um, and so here's, here's what Paul says. He says, number one is that the, one of the reasons is that God has already accepted them. And, and I've already kind of belittled belabored this. Um, God accepts you with your hang-ups, so we ought to accept others with their hang-ups. We all have hurts and habits and hang-ups, right? So I, I accept you with all your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I'm not going to say, well, we can only have fellowship if you live a certain way, if you act a certain way, if you do a certain thing. Um, that's not my goal. My goal is to love you and help you take your next step with God, whatever that is for you, because God just wants to, he wants to love you and he continues to love you. He will always love you regardless, but he does want to help conform you into the image of Jesus, right? So God has us all on this, this, path, this pathway that leads us to maturity in Christ so that we begin to live out the fullness of Christ and the grace that God has given to us. Number two, he says, it's not my responsibility. I love this in verse four. What, what does he say? He says, who, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To, to his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord. The, who's, who's able to make him stand? The Lord is make, able to make him stand. Right? It's not my responsibility. I can't make you change. I can't make you stand. All I can do is do what God's asked me to do. I'm not responsibility, responsible for your change. I'm not responsible for my kids' change or my grandchildren's change. All I can do is show, you know, show through the display of my own life what it looks like to love Jesus, walk with God, share my story, and you know, invest in others, and pray that the Holy Spirit takes that and begins you know, um, rooting himself into the mindset and the heart of my children and my grandchildren and anyone else who comes into contact with me on a regular basis. That's all I can do. I'm not responsible for how you ultimately end up living your life. You know, I can bring you to the well. I can't force you to drink the water. Uh, you can come and listen to me every week for the next 52 weeks, but if you don't apply what you're learning and what you're hearing, that's not my responsibility. It is yours. So I don't have to lose sleep. You don't have to lose sleep. Let's say, for example, um, you're going to make it your mission to love somebody, and your whole goal is what? to change them. You're going to be a very frustrated person. Like, for example, I have contact with a lot of people who have addiction problems, 
And I, I discovered early on, I can't change these people. Now, I can meet with them, I can love them, I can, you know, and, and walk with them. But when, I set, when it was my goal to change them, you just become very frustrated. Right? It's depleting. I, you know, well, I'm going to change my kids. Well, no, you're not. God can, you can't, but there are things you can do to help that process. But I'm telling you, the major, major place that is done is on your face before the Lord in spiritual warfare. Because Satan is, he's grasping after these individuals. Um, and so you guys got to say, you know what, God, I'm going to honor you. I believe you can handle this better than me. Just use me as an instrument. Number three, I don't know their motive. Right? He talks about this in verses uh, five and six, that one man considers one day more sacred than the other. The other considers another day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, right, in his own conscience. He regards one day as special. So to the Lord, he gives to eat, eats to the Lord, give thanks, and he who abstains does so to the Lord, gives thanks to God. And so only God, listen, God, only God knows a person's heart and true motives. I don't. You don't. And if it's, if, it's, if it's a disputable matter, let's say, let's say, let's take the Harry Potter thing. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of warring going on about Harry Potter. Should we read Harry Potter series? Should we not? Should we watch the movies? Not watch the movies? I've seen Christians go toe-to-toe over this. And you say, well, where do you stand on that? I ain't telling you. Now, if you want to know, see me privately, and I'll let you know. I'm going to tell you, because then you're going to go, oh, wow, I thought the preacher was spiritual, but now I'm not so sure. Or, man, I can't believe he's taking a stance against that. Am I wishy-washy? Absolutely not. I have a very strong opinion on that. And so does my wife. And guess what? The two shall not meet. (laughs) So so we agree to disagree agreeably in order to have fellowship with one another. Otherwise, I'm sleeping in another room. And that's just not, not the thing I want to do. So I, you know, again, Paul's just challenging us, you know, having our conscience reformed in that letting God, in other words, Paul would say, listen, I don't want you to violate your conscience on this. Now, if God reforms your conscience and changes it over time, great, then you ought to follow your conscience. But if this is a disputable matter, I don't, I should never force you to violate your conscience. That's not right. It's not good. And and, and I can say, well, I'm going to. I can question your motives by going, well, but you need to see it this way. You need to do this, and you should do that. No, that's not what I want to do. Because all of us are on different levels of our faith journey with the Lord. I would never want you to violate your conscience. I'll let God reform and refurbish your conscience over these disputable issues. And that's Paul's whole argument. I'm not going to force this on you. Paul would say, I believe I can eat the meat, but if you believe that you can only eat the veggies because you don't want to participate, you think it's participating in idol worship, I don't think that, but if you think that, you shouldn't violate your conscience. Now, if someday God brings your conscience to the point that, okay, I get it now, I see that this is not participating in idol worship, I can do that now, then that's what you ought to do. Right? So, for example, when I got saved, you know, I had a heart for my lost friends. Get what? I still struggled with addiction. What would have been the worst? I was weak in my faith because I'm a brand new Christian. What do you think would have been the worst thing for me to do? Go to the parties and try to win them the faith in Jesus because just guess what's going to happen by the end of the evening? I'm either drunk or high, right? It's just not going to work. Now, as I grew in my faith and my relationship and walk with God, you could put me in the middle of that circumstance all you want. I am not temptable in that area anymore. I'm strong in my faith. So, it doesn't violate my conscience one iota to walk into a party or to walk into a bar or walk in, you know, but people see me in the bar and say, like, aren't you a pastor? Yes, I am. What are you doing in here? Eating lunch? Meeting somebody? Just want to talk to them? Love them to the Lord? They're not saved? This is where they wanted to meet? This is where they like to come? I'm here. And for some of you, that would be real bothersome. Like, hey, you know, I just saw the pastor coming out of the birch down here in Grove Ford. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Um, he's suspect now. Number, <laughs> uh, number four, we are related to one another. 
Remember, um, Paul reminds us, listen, we're all part of the body of Christ. Um, Our relationships are very important. What affects me affects you. What affects you ultimately will affect me. And we all have our own conscience and our own convictions. Um, And so sometimes, you know, we don't have a broad understanding. So we just have to be patient and kind with one another. Listen, I don't want to judge you because you have a hurt or a hang-up in your life. I, I would never judge you. I gave that up a long time ago. Now, now it was, I can't say that I was always that way. As a pastor, you know, early on in my, in my first pastor, I, I, I would look at people who were in my congregation, and I'm like, why the heck are they doing that? Why would they do that? What? And I, I began to develop kind of a judgmental attitude towards them, and as a result of that, you have a real hard time loving somebody that you're judging. And you become extremely blind to your own faults within your own life. And so Paul reminded us, and he, God reminded me that, listen, I called you to love these folks no matter what. Because there's probably some things they see in your life, they're like, what the heck's the pastor doing that for? Like, why is he not wearing a suit anymore? I literally got a letter from somebody in this church that just berated me for not wearing a suit. Please don't do that because I'm not wearing a suit. Unless it's your wedding day or your funeral. You pick. Number five, only Christ has the right to judge. And Paul was very adamant about this. In verses 8 and 9, he says, listen, we can't be judging one another. Jesus, at this very, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. He's, he is our ultimate judge. He's the only one who has a right to judge. And here's why I cannot judge. Because I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. I don't know everything about you. Here's what I do know. Every single one of us came out of different backgrounds. Some of you were hurt extremely young at age. You're the victim of sexual abuse. Maybe the victim of um, physical abuse. Watch this, a disputable matter. Is it right for a Christian to drink in moderation, or should they be total abstinence? Well, that might depend on what background you came out of. Because if you came out of a family with an alcoholic father who was beating your mother and beating you as a child to the point of almost death, I think you probably got a pretty strong opinion on that, right? Coming out of your background. So this is what Paul is saying. We can't judge each other. We don't know all the things that we carry inside of us. I don't know all of your internal scars that you carry around with, unless you've shared them with me. And so before we're quick to judge people as to why they will do or not do certain things, you might not want to be so quick to judge because you do not know their story because they've never shared you their story. And therefore, you don't know what's really driving them. And they can be driven by a lot of different things. And here's the last one is, I only am accountable for myself. I'm only accountable for myself. And this is how Paul finishes out. Verses 10 and, uh, through 12, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? For we will stand before God's judgment seat. Who's, who's standing with you at God's judgment seat? Nobody. It's you and Jesus. All right? So it's you and Christ. You're not going to be accountable. Listen, you're not accountable for my life. I'm not accountable for yours. I'm not responsible for your life ultimately. You're not responsible for mine. I have responsibilities as a pastor that I, you know, and, and teaching God's word. The Bible says that, you know, those who teach God's word will be judged in a much stricter way than those who do not. I understand that. I accept that responsibility. I know I'm going to have to stand before God and give an account, just like you are, but I'm only accountable for myself. I'm not accountable to you or for you. So why then do we pass judgment? When you judge, it's only a matter of time. And this is what Paul would say to us. Here's the danger behind it. It's only a matter of time before you begin despising the very people you're judging. This is why it's so detrimental when we get into arguments on social media among Christians over disputable matters. 
is that we are damaging our testimony before the world that we have been called to love and to reach. I'm already setting them aside. I'm already communicating the message. Hey, if you don't see it my way, if you don't follow my way, you're out. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm not having anything to do with you anymore. And yet these are the very same people that Jesus loved and died for. So Paul's whole message to us as a body of believers, and there are a lot of disputable matters that we deal with because we all come from different cultures and backgrounds and hurts and habits and hang-ups. Hey, let's agree. If we disagree, let's agree to be agreeable even though we disagree. We're the body of Christ. We're to be unified in Christ. And where there is unity, there is power. Where there is disunity, we have no power. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a lot for us to take in. Um, I'm, I'm sure our minds are reeling with all kinds of conversations and scenarios and uh, disputable matters that we have dealt with in the past or maybe dealing with presently. Um, so Lord, I, I pray your Holy Spirit would just help us to disseminate uh, all of this information that Paul has hit us with and, and God just to settle in our own mind and heart and conscience of how we can can continue to fellowship and love one another and be acceptable of one another and in these areas of where we have difference of opinion, to which the Word of God is not clearly spoken. And so, Lord, we, we love you. Um, you know we love you. And, God, our, our whole goal and our desire is to, to love you in deeper ways that we might love each other in deeper ways. And, Lord, I pray for those... Um, who work with people that want to argue and fight over disputable things, and whether they're a believer or not, unbeliever, it doesn't really matter. God, just help us to reflect Jesus to them and, uh, and help us clothe ourselves. Last week, we talked about last week, how clothe ourselves in, in humility and kindness and gentleness and grace, and Lord, that we, uh, we might engage in conversation with people, yes, but we do it in a way that is beneficial and it is not, it is not um, destructive uh, to that relationship. So, Father, um, help us in these areas of our need. Maybe it's with family members. We have sharp disagreements over political issues and religious issues and all these things, Father, that Satan can just get in there and drive a wedge that, uh, that is forever buried between us and we just can't seem to get rid of it and release it. So, Lord, I pray for a releasing this morning of your Holy Spirit upon us to give us wisdom, uh, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You told us if we lack wisdom, that if we ask you, that you will give it to us liberally and generously. And I just pray that this morning over this body of believers, that we would be wise, that we would be wise with our convictions. We would be lot wise when it comes to disputable matters as we engage in conversation and life with those with whom we disagree. So, Father, we love you and thank you for your word. We love you and thank you for your Holy Spirit who has taught us and who is our guide and who grants us the wisdom uh, that you make available to each of us. May this day be a blessing to you as we have worshipped you. In Jesus' name, amen.